1935, the Lions win the NFL championship. The Detroit Tigers take the World Series. The Red Wings bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Joe Lewis begins his rise to world domination. This transforms the Motor City into Detroit, city of champions. I'll always expect the unexpected. Sticking it in the ground, it's time for Detroit City of Champions. I'm Jamie Flanagan. Charles Davis. And we are diving into the story of 1935. The players, the sports, the teams, the owners, the fans, everything in Detroit in 1935. And right now we're golfing. Walter Hagen. Episode 69, man. 69, yeah. Episode 69, and we're <laughs> there's a lot more to cover. It's yeah. like... You know, it shows you once again. Just it's worth remind, remembering. Uh, I left my damn email. Like on there's, again there's, and it you've got. Rang. What's that? I left my email on again. And it rang. Oh, you're recording. I'm, I'm like, son oh. of a god. No, I didn't hear. I, I, oh, I, I, but yeah. I'm just saying, like, there's other podcasts and other shows yeah. that talk about like Detroit sports in general, yeah. or, or the news, or whatever no, this. Right? We've niched it down. We've, dude, this is the god ultimate is niche, <laughs> niche subject. It's, we're talking about one year. One year. Like if you're talking about any other year in any uh, history of sports, like what other, what other show would ever be focused on just one year? Nothing is that rich. Nothing, yeah. and that's the whole point of the yes. three books that you wrote. Uh, are they all properly called Detroit City of Champions? Yeah, the, the, the header, the, the the main header is Detroit City of Champions, and then and then the first book is so the first book is the story of the season. The second two books are about the players, so mm-hmm. it's set, so they're all called Detroit City of Champions. Okay. it's a trilogy. And then the subtitle of the first book is The Story of the Most Important Season in Detroit Sports History, which is a little wordy, I guess. Right? But it's, I mean, what, I, mean I don't, I don't like, know how to shorten it you're down. You're like it's, Shield. We're working on it. We're working on it. It's already it. out, so it's done. <laughs> and, then the, and then the second two books are even way shorter. It's just the, the players. Okay. So I went from the, the opposite and I slimmed it way down. The players. So the players, volume one, and the players, volume two for the second. Two. Well, now that there's something as well. Um, where do people get it? Uh, we, I, we don't hit that every time. We're so we're here to tell the ex- story. I know, we're telling the story. We never and we, I, I'm never. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like uh, market or anything. So, well, DetroitCityOfChampions.com yeah. uh, is a good one-stop shop to get you to everything about the show and about the books and about you. Yeah. Uh, but where physically other places people can get it? Well, the main places are. Um, there's a store called Inspire Marketplace. Mm. And it's a lot of people just call it the Michigan Art Art Store, the okay. Michigan Art Store. It's the at, at uh, ones at Twelve Oaks Mall in Novi, and the other ones at Partridge Creek and Clinton Township. Okay, is and it on f- the Amazon and all those? Uh, the, the ones on Amazon are actually by other sellers. There's actually a lot of other sellers that sell on Amazon, and it's kind of like they kind of undercut my prices. <laughs> like that, they'll really? sell, I, they, well, they sell it used. You know, ah. they, they get it used and then they yeah, sell yeah. it somehow. And then, or eBay, guns. same thing on like eBay. A lot of them is yeah, like yeah. used. You don't used. have it for sale via. Amazon? No, I used yourself? to. I used to. Um, is that a pain or? Yeah, it's it's just. I mean, I used to have it at Barnes and Noble. I mean, I used to have it at those other places, but it's just. I don't know. It's like every book that I sell in person or through my website, yeah. it's like worth like two sales somewhere else. Okay. And so the and the problem is is that is the you know it's just from the distributing of from being a the publishing angle like trying to sell it. Mm-hmm. Like every time you have to reorder, you have to spend you have to spend like. You know, seven thousand dollars. Ooh, okay. And so that's what I mean. Like I've, I, you know, I've figured out other revenue sources. You know, I, when I'm in these stores, that's why I talk about stores. I'm and, in these yeah. little side side <laughs> jobs. It's a family friendly show. <laughs> no, but there's no, but no, you know, the the stores not that I'm today, in. It's not. You know, I'm selling I'm selling my own books in these stores, and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm also like working in there. So it's like, all right. But so, so if somebody's so my not logic, in the Metro Detroit area. 
Yeah, the, How the do they website. get away? Yeah, so, DetroitCityChampions.com, yeah. And they, that connects with you directly. And, yeah. And there's some merch on there. Yeah. Um, there's some cool shirts and stuff. It was funny this year because I teach high school. And uh, I, I took a picture. I sent it to you. Uh, a kid came to class wearing a Detroit City of Champions T-shirt. I'm like, oh my god! I know that's awesome. Man. It was. It was. I was like, uh, what's? Can you tell me about your shirt? And yeah. She's like, it was my brother's. I don't know. It's funny. <laughs> and it's, I'm like, yeah, that's cool, like, man. It's, it's funny. It's, it's random. It's I get. I see random. The you old. Know, it's it's kind of. It's just kind of funny when it pops up here and there and just different. You know, I've I've had other you know examples of that too, where just yeah. some a person just you know randomly talking about it or yeah. or something. And, I, and one of my one of my very good friends, his name is Matt Tamelian, uh, mm-hmm. and um, he is uh, he, a very good friend of mine. He actually he did a lot of work to help me. You know, get like when we were when I was like early on, like he was has helped me sell books, and he was just a great friend of mine. And I met him at a bar one night. Like I just met him at a bar one night. Like I didn't even know, never like the first time I ever met him. He was wearing a 1935 Tigers hat. Oh, nice. And I was like, nice hat, 1935 Tigers. Because he had like the shorter bill, you know, the shorter brim. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, my grandpa got it for me when, um, and he goes, he, and I was like, oh, he goes, yeah, my grandpa got it for me. And he said, he also got me this book. And he's like, it's called Detroit City of Champions. Uh. It's about the 35 City. I go, dude, I, I go, dude, I wrote that. <laughs> and he was I like, he goes, did you? You know, and I was like, it's yeah. Like, I wrote that. And then like the whole night we like hung out and went yeah. to kind of bar hop together and became yeah. good friends, still are, you know. Oh, so that's it's, a, as I'm saying, like it's, it's got, it's, I just, it's cool, you know, when those, you know, the little connecting, you know, it, yeah. out of nowhere, it's, yeah. you know, it, it kind of pops up like that, you know. So, but yeah, so the book is a Available uh, Detroit City of Champions via the website Detroit City of Champions and, and the two places uh, locally in the Metro Detroit area and then uh, the merch uh, there and there's a wearing huh. wearingfunny.com I got a couple Detroit City of Champions shirts up there too uh, we're gonna get the ones with the the Chris's help but Chris is awesome I don't yeah, know if Chris he's tuned in or not but um, he's helping. Created Design, a magnificent yeah. logo that we keep talking about. Yeah, this uh, crest we crest. have. It's like yeah, it's it's, it's um, fantastic. It's that, like a coat uh, of arms. It's a we, coat of arms. Yeah. He's a specialist at it. Like he knows like that we're like, gonna we could like talk about it one we day. could we could literally register that coat of arms and it'd be an official coat. I, I mean I, we're gonna do that. Yeah. We're, we're gonna do that. So it, it's uh but yeah, we keep we keep keep saying we're gonna dedicate a show and break it down and talk about it. Yeah. And and one day Maybe we'll do it after the Hagen. Maybe we'll do it after the Hagen We will take an episode Maybe it'll be episode one hundred. Yeah. Because we're closing in on a hundred. We're yeah, at we 69 are. right yep. now. No, it's yeah, it's it's crazy, man. Creeping up on shows. success. Yep. And just like you're saying last show, like if you make it past 12, like that's like a huge benchmark. It, it is really. Yeah. So uh, so everybody who is listening and does listen, uh, all the regular folks and people that wander across here and there for this and that, we thank you for spending some time with us and uh, like, subscribe, leave a comment, uh, and then tell a couple of people. That always helps us too. Telling a couple of people. Yeah, every person, uh, like every every single person that shares or likes or passes it on or tells somebody about it, really, I mean, it's it's the biggest thing because that's how it, it spreads. And once you, mean, like, you and once you hit like a certain point, like fifty or a hundred or whatever, that's when it starts to really branch out because each one, you know, every other person's telling somebody about it. And from what I've just from what I've seen on like YouTube shows or anything, you know, once right. you start, once you hit a certain, you know, it's just it's kind of a slow growth at first, but once you hit mm-hmm. a certain number, then it really starts to take off, and it's like it's you know. You know, besides just the show component, like the bigger that this thing gets, the more chance there is of like catching attention from people going, man, there's actually public interest in this concept, in this show, in this, in this story, and we should do something bigger, like a movie or whatever. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, if there's interest in it, if we, if the, you know, this show is a pretty good, like, um, you know, sort of bellwether. 
as far as gauging the sort of public interest in it, you know. And so that's that's why I just encourage if you really if you like it, if you like the idea and all this, and share it and let people know. And if everybody you get to listen to it sends you two dollars, and then you send one of those dollars to us, yeah, uh, no, we don't even of, have them. We're much. trying to set up a pyramid scheme. We here. don't even I don't have. Even, I don't. But we don't even have the money mechanism <laughs> to do that. Like no, we don't no. even have a donation. No, button we don't. We don't. We really so, don't. We just. We just. We do. don't have a coffee can. We just do. What we don't. <laughs> Uh, one day we will. That'd be awesome to do one of these. You know, one day do live streams and I people gotta, like do like super chats and super, stuff. That'd yeah, be fun, man. Yeah, I would yeah. love to do that. But you know, it's like my mom. It's like, hey, mom, give me five bucks. I'll answer your question. Yeah. Where'd well, that's well, that's the where'd super, you hide my keys? I'm oh, not yeah, telling you. Yeah. Sorry. Well, yeah. <laughs> at this point, we would we'd, we'd take it. But there, but uh, in the future, I would love to do. Um, you know, shows where it's, you know, where like the super chat thing would be amazing. Yeah. That'd be like the coolest thing in the yeah. world. Again, maybe uh, closing in episode 100. Could be. Could be. But uh, right now we are uh, talking about, we like I mentioned, we were, we're into golf and we're talking about Walter Hagen. Yeah, we're not, we're not at the point yet where Hagen is that, you know, uh, you know, Walter Hagen is one of the most famous names in golf. We just, we mm-hmm. haven't reached the point where he arrives in Detroit and becomes a big Detroit guy yet. Because last time it was 1913 and it was the greatest game yep. ever played and yep. he came in fifth. Bro- <laughs> yeah, he, was just out of, he was just out of the money. But it was that one hole. That it was 14th, the 14th hole, hole did him that, in. But he was in the hunt all the way to the 14th hole in the last yeah. day. And then he hit an absolutely terrible hole in the fourteenth, sure, and then sure. it, and then it, and then he just, then you know, he didn't even get a slot in the movie. So, but he's still, yeah, 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 yeah. His name was up on the scoreboard. Yeah, but, but he that wasn't was about, like, he wasn't a player in the. Yeah, movie, he wasn't yeah. like it didn't didn't even have a character for him. Yeah. So yeah, so so yeah, that's where that where last we left was at Brookline, right? And he was, and he departed. You know, he he left. You know, everybody else in the world is headed to Brookline to watch the final day. He's of out. The tournament. I'm and, out. I'm and going. And he left on. after. He, he Screw was it. Old, I'm Bert. He was the last one. He didn't even see it. He was the, he was the last one. <laughs> like he was like he like everybody else was showing up in Brookline. Yeah. And he was and he was on his. You know, he was the like the only one that didn't watch the tournament. And his regret was that he didn't stay long enough. To watch, um, you know, to watch Harry Varden to learn know, to more, learn from, more Varden, from Varden, yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, so so that here we so this we're going into uh, 1914, but this mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. sort of we you know we're gonna we're, we pick up, uh, in, it's it's still 1913. It's sort of uh, you know this is this is after the tournament, of course, and after the that 1913 U.S. Open, and it's in the summer, and Hagen yeah. Hagen goes down to Florida. Um, just to, for there's like some you know again he's you know he's a club pro at uh, Rochester uh, Country Club mm-hmm. and he's also Rochester yeah Rochester New York Country Club and then he also um, you know he's he and he did fairly well in this in this uh, U.S. Open so he's uh, you know he's just kind of doing a little bit of promo stuff you know it's just he's got a little bit of cachet for because he you know he can kind of brag about that he was finished you know sure. somewhat up in the tournament yeah he was uh and that garnered uh, a lot of national interest it's like that sparking too, yeah. this is sparking some nat national interest absolutely in, 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 in golf you can say yeah i was right there oh you know francis we met yeah i met the you know i know the guy you know yeah. like that you know he can actually talk to people like that so he was there he was there for this incredible event and mm-hmm. and actually was a was a player in it and so um you know so that carries a little cachet so he so he gets uh for somehow or another he talks about in his book in uh, the summer of two thousand of uh, nineteen thirteen, he heads down to Florida. So he goes to so he goes to a, a city called Tarpon Springs, Florida. For he just says in the book some some golf events. He doesn't he doesn't specify. But what, so but Tarpon Springs in nineteen thirteen was the training site of the Philadelphia Phillies. Oh okay. Yeah. So um so while he's there, so the Phillies are having sort of like an there. It's uh it's a bit, it's like sort of an off season training. 
Uh, it's a tra- it's an off season training site of the of the Phillies, and so while he's there, um, they're they like they were they were training during the day. They do their baseball thing, and then like after practice, they would go golfing, and that's so he started meeting these different uh, Philadelphia Phillies players. And so while while meeting these guys and golfing with them, he's still young. I think he's like 20, 20 years old at this point. Right. Um, while he's talking to these guys, they start they're so they they just just for kind of a laugh, you know, they invite him to practice with them. Yeah. To come to one of their practice events, and he has it written down. I'm um, just to get some names on the on the book here. Uh, the guy these the guys he specifically mentions golfing with and sort of getting this opportunity is Chief Bender, Grover Alexander. Gabby Cravath and Pat Moran, mm. and so these are some of the biggest names in baseball history. I mean, these guys are um, these guys are just absolutely. Gabby Cravath is one of my favorite players of early baseball history. Okay, um, he, he's an outfielder, which which is just one of the. He was like basically like the like Babe Ruth before Babe Ruth. He was a tremendous hitter, and Chief Bender was one of the best pitchers. But he at this point in time, Chief Bender, it's it's odd because Chief Bender was with the Philadelphia A's. He wasn't with the Phillies at this exact moment, so mm-hmm. so it's just odd. So maybe he was uh, because it was another Philadelphia team. Maybe he was just down there um, with the with the Phillies. I, I don't know why, but he was with the A's yeah. at this moment. Well, things are a little bit more relaxed at that time. It Must wasn't be. like super secret. You Might know. have just been friends with him somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, and then also Grover Alexander is one of the best pitchers of all time. Um, so they went to play a little sandlot ball. Is that so what they were doing? No, they went. He went to this is their training site. Oh, okay. He actually all went right. to their legit all training right. site. And Pat Moran is the manager of the Phillies. Come on, Smalls, you're killing me. So yeah, so Pat Moran is a star. He was actually like an earlier star. He was his career was just wrapping up, but he was the manager of the Phillies, and so they invited him over to their practice site because he because we talked about it already that he was like he was already he was a star outfielder in Rochester. Oh yeah, or star. I'm sorry, a star. He was a, he played outfield, but he was a, a pitcher, primarily a pitcher. But you know, it also back then you also hit when you were a pitcher. So he was good. He was a two way he was two way star in his local town. And that the city won their cha- it was like I think it was two championships in a row, city hmm. championships. And so he was, you know, he was talented. And he even said in here, like he his dream really was to be a major league baseball player. Like the golf thing was the job. We saw the progression of him as a as a caddy, yeah. and then he went out to the golf, you know, to the open, just as you know, sort of a lab to see how he could do. But in, he actually says again in this chapter that um, I have the actual quote right here. If I could, so he says right here. If I could, they. I'll say this quote in a second because there's one more thing to mention. Okay. Because because he did so well in the at this uh, practice these practice days that Pat Moran invited him to the 1914 spring training oh. of the team, which is like the the main legit. You know, it's not just some random offseason workouts. That's where these guys are getting ready for a major league season. Mm-hmm. So that's a big that's a that's as big of an opportunity as you get. That's a big break. And so, um, so he, so he, so um, uh, Hagen promises Pat Moran he would, he'd be there, right? I'll be there. And so, sure. and then this is the quote that Hagen says: um, "If I could wrangle a, a, if I could wrangle a contract with the Phillies, I'd be, I'd be headed to big time baseball. After all, that had been my original ambition. Golf had just sidetracked me temporarily. Now I was back in the, now I was back in the groove again. Oh. So now he's like." Baseball is back. Like golf was just a passing fancy in his mind. He's about to be, 
you know, he's about to, um, you know, potentially get into the major leagues. So at this you're moment. saying there's a chance. Yeah, well, there's a huge chance for him. We got a slider to show. So yeah, it's, uh, that's, it. uh, that quote comes out of his book, Walter Hagen's yeah. story. But this photo that Hague we're showing, himself. I I made this. This is exclusive. This is exclusive You'll to not, the. Uh, oh yeah, I see yeah. the neck now. Yeah, the neck. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a photoshopped image. I didn't have time to do a perfect. Not, job. He's not popping his collar. No, 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 no. All right, fair play. So this is. A, it's not a perfect image, um, but it's. Uh, but it's just. I just. I. I, I took a picture. I took an image. This is actually an image of Walter Hagen from 1914, his face, and then you know superimposed on a guy on a Philadelphia Phillies jersey from 1914. <laughs> so I, I wanted to envision what yeah. I, was, I wanted to envision what Hagen might have looked he like. He looks like a baseball boy, totally. And I he love does. the early 1900s uniforms yeah. too. So, um, so anyways, that's and I actually added the P that, that's on his chest from another picture. So there's okay. actually three different images spliced <laughs> together on that. And on very sh- and probably like with about twenty minutes worth of uh, time yeah, to work yeah, yeah. on it, so I think it came out pretty decent. No, that's great. Um, so anyway, so this is so that's where he's at going into nineteen fourteen. Now when he so there's I'm going to, about to read a quote here because he's all excited about baseball and he's headed he's headed to you know major I'm going to the major leagues with the Phillies, and at this exact moment he's there. So there's a the quote I'm about to read. It starts off with him. You're going to hear in the next – I'm going to read a few quotes today, but there's uh, – one of these guys he's, like, hanging out with is this guy named Dutch Leonard. And Dutch Leonard was a – at the time was a – Dutch Leonard was a was a, one of the best pitchers in baseball at this time. And it's odd because uh, this, is a, this is another guy that wasn't with the Phillies, and somehow he's hanging out with this guy, Dutch Leonard. Dutch Leonard was with the Red Sox at this time, and eventually he would come over to the Tigers – Oh, he would end up playing with the Tigers, and, the, and him and Ty Cobb were like mortal enemies. They hated each other beyond compare. Like they were probably the guy that Ty Cobb had the most problem with is in, in his entire life was Dutch Leonard. Oh, and eventually right. there was a huge there was a huge uh, controversy where Ty Cobb was accused of like throwing games with with a guy another baseball player named Tris Speaker. Where it was like it was like a, a huge event at the time, where like they were he was accused of like throwing games and gambling on games. It was a major thing at the time, mm-hmm. though very short lived. It didn't last that long. But the guy who accused Cobb of cheating, of throwing games, and was like throwing handing over some documents that supposedly proved he was doing it, was Dutch Leonard. Oh, that's the guy. So this is the guy. There's like sort of a couple of connections here with the you know Detroit and history with this guy. But at the time, and I don't know, I didn't. He didn't mention anywhere, like out of nowhere. He's like, "Oh, this is how the quote starts." Dutch Leonard and I were sitting in a pro shop at the big league pitch. You know, he's sitting there talking with the guy, and I'm like, "Where does he come from? How does he enter this story?" But right, right. somehow he must have met him when they were down in Florida, because okay. it doesn't yeah. have any mention of how. But one last little mo- thing about Dutch Leonard is that he, again, he pitched in Boston, and in in 1914, the year that you know we're talking about here. Dutch Leonard would have the best ERA, which is earned run average, the le- giving up the least amount of runs in the history of baseball. Still number one to this day. Wow. Um, th- there's a guy that was back in the late 1800s that uh, that had a little bit better than him overall, but like sort of like in the at least in the 20th century, 20th and 21st century, this guy had less than a run a game, and he's a starting pitcher. Like he gave up less than a run a game, which is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I didn't even know that, so that's just kind of worth mentioning with Dutch Leonard, but. So that just kind of gives you an idea that like the caliber of people that he's hanging around with, you know, these are Hall of Famers, and I mean, Dutch yeah. Leonard wasn't, but some of these like uh, Grover Alexander, Chief Bender, these are Hall of Famers. So, sure. Um, so anyway, so I'll just kind of get into the quote because this is we call this episode the fork in the fork in the road, right? And so here's what we've already presented one fork, which is 
Major League Baseball, the Phillies, the yeah. chance to go to the major leagues. This yeah, is yeah. one fork. He just played in the U.S. Open, though. And he just played in the U.S. Open the previous year. So this is going to be another. So this is going to. This is the quote of the is going to introduce the it's other like that, fork. It's like that meme where the guy's walking down the street holding his girlfriend's hand, but he's looking at the other girl. Exactly. And yeah, he's yeah. put the name of this and that on. Yeah. It's like pro he, golf, he's, pro baseball. Well, he's like walking with the girl and yeah, it yeah. says U.S. Open on her. Yeah, and then yeah. The, and then it's the other girl walking back and it's, it says Phillies on That's exactly it. We got to make that meme. Theme. That'll yeah. be the cover for this one. Yeah, yeah. So that's exactly <laughs> what it is. So and so that's the, so this is so we're about to mention how the other fork came about. Mm-hmm. So this is the quote right here. So again, coming out of Walter Hagen's book, um, uh, the Hague. Uh, by you got the little title yep. up there. So yeah, the, by the Hague himself. So this comes out of his own book. So Dutch Leonard and I were sitting in the pro shop at the Country Club of Rochester, and I was bragging how I'd murder big league pitching when I made good in the tryout with the Phillies. When the winter training started, I intended to be right there and ready. While we were talking, I saw Mr. Ernest Willard, editor of the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, get out of his get out of his glass house electric and head for the shop. I knew he'd come I knew he'd come to pick up his golf clubs for his vacation at Loon Lake, so I walked across the shop to go get to get them for him. Aren't you going to enter the National Open at Chicago? Dutch called to me. I'm not thinking of it, I said. I'm going to work harder in baseball and let up on golf. Mr. Willard overheard me, and he repeated Dutch's question. I explained that I believed I could make the grade with the Phillies team if I, if I tried hard enough. Haven't you plenty of time for the Open and baseball, he asked? You did so well at Brookline last year. I think you should try again this year. I told him I was sort of discouraged that I'd begun to believe that golf was not my game. Rochester was mighty proud of you, Walter. You're the first pro we've ever had who has been able to qualify for the Open, let alone finish in a tie for second like you did. I'd like you to go to Chicago and win it. He waited a few seconds, then said, if, you, if you'll if you go, Walter, I'll pay all of your expenses. He turned to Dutch, and you, young man, young fellow, if you can make the trip with Walter, I'll pay you your expenses too. Well, what do you say, boys? I appreciate your offer, Mr. Willard, and I'll send my entry into the National Open right away, I told him. Yes, that did it. I thought I'd put all future golf competition out of my mind. I thought I was headed straight for the major leagues and baseball's Hall of Fame. But let a man express confidence in my ability as a golfer, and I was right back in the competition again. Then I remembered I'd told those fellows at Brookline I'd be back next year. Next year was here, and I had just three weeks to get ready for the Open in Chicago. I worked harder than I'd worked than I'd ever worked in my life during the time which which was left left me, trying to perfect my game for another shot at the big boys. I got my fancy golf outfit cleaned and ready with only one change, the white buckskin shoes with the red rubber soles. I'd slid all over the course at Brookline in the wet weather. Funny thing was that I'd only, that I'd only played golf in good sunny weather until I went to Brookline. Now I brought a pair of hobnailed shoes for the 1914 Open, and I played in hobnailed shoes from that time on. So he ditched this the smooth smooth shoes with, yeah, the, yeah. with cleats. But yeah. So anyway, so this is the other fork. This guy's like, wow. what are you talking about, baseball? You know, you're you just finished. You know, he said second in the open, and that's in. You know, you can say it two different ways. He finished six or whatever, but but the thing is, is that he finished in the next group down. You know, the first group was technically, you know, they were tied on the last day. First, first, first. first so they first, all first, won yeah. first technically. Yeah. You know, they just had the tiebreaker to break it, and then and then Hagen and them, they all finished like you know, they all they tied in the next bracket down. Right, so right. that's when you hear him say second place. He's not wrong. I mean, he was technically second. Yeah. But there was just a you know there was like six people like you know between right him and first, and first. And second. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, so anyway yeah. so this is the other fork and he's like 
what the hell? I might well, as well. Somebody's footing right? the bill. Somebody's footing the bill, and I, and he's got faith in and me. He's got confidence. Yeah, he's got confidence in me. That so, so seen. he heads. So he heads, <clears throat> heads off to the nineteen fourteen U.S. Open. He's going to you know he's going to compete. So, um, uh, so so anyway, so so uh, to speed up, there's a ton of you know um, you know more reading. I don't want to read just read the whole book, but um, just to kind of uh, summarize what happened. So he gets to Chicago, and. Him and Dutch Leonard are like hitting the town, like they're going yeah. to movies, they're going to bars and stuff like this. They're hanging out, they're having a good time, inventing the double Dutch bus. Yes, so, no, that's not what that. No, uh, that came later. That came later. That came later. Yeah. Okay. So, the, so that, but the night before the open, they go out for this really nice dinner, um, at for lobster and they had oysters and that. And uh, Hagen even says this is the first time he'd ever had lobster, mm. and so he's like just describing his friends. He's like it was like the greatest place. I went to go have lobster. Well, before the night ended, Hagen was in agony. Oh. Food poisoning. Ah. Badly. Very badly. And he spends pages, several, like I could just sit here and read the pages off, but he was in really bad shape. Oh. I mean, he was like, I mean, it's, he's like, <laughs> he doesn't forget a single detail of how awful that night was. So it's just like, he, so he's, so, so the, the, that night he was already writhing in agony. Mm. The next morning, uh, the or the the morning of the tournament, he he could barely stand. Oh man! Like he's like totally. I mean, he's like I'm done. I well, can't. Somebody just paid my way here. I gotta go. But that's what that's what's factoring in because yeah. he's like I can't just turn around. He's like, what am I supposed to tell this guy? We go back to Rochester. Oh, I had just, a tummy ache. Yeah, oh, you had yeah. a stomach ache. You couldn't play in the U.S. Open yeah, after yeah. I fit the bill. That's one of the things you you nailed it right on the head. He actually says that in there, like. Like I don't even know if they'd believe me. Like right. I might lose a lot of credibility back, yeah. you know, at my at Roger. They'd be like, "Oh, come on, tough guy, suck it up," you know. And so he, I mean, that's what he's talking. Like he talks about this, like I mean, near super superhuman effort he took. He was taking a- aspirin. He saw a doctor. The doctor gave him like uh, some milk toast and you know all this stuff to try to coat his stomach. I mean, he, he could, but he, he was like, I could barely, I could barely even walk, you know, and so. So he gets there. That's what I'm saying. So this is that's what's wow. crazy. Is this is you know this is this you know big moment or whatever. And so, anyways, um, so uh, anyone. Well, no, let me, <laughs> we don't know that yet, Jamie. You don't know that. Oh no, I know. I was, I was being facetious. You don't know that. I don't know. <laughs> Spoiler alert. No crap. All right. I was like so kidding. I figured he like <laughs> had a crap day or something. The whole show's over now. I'm putting my book away. I'm going home. <laughs> you guys, I'm taking does my he, book and I'm does going. Does he do? Home. Oh, he does. I have no idea. I was being. I figured he was like, oh. No, there's, no there's maybe he did it. Year. Maybe he did it. You I don't have know. no idea. Okay, good. No, I don't know either. I just <laughs> want to read through the book. I want to see what he says. <laughs> so anyways, um, so I don't know. So we'll read the quote here and see if he won Let's or see not. how he does. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, How's his tummy? <laughs> so, so here it is. So this is kind of speeding it up right to the point where he plays in the tournament. He's actually a pretty good quick summary of the tournament. In the locker room, I changed my fancy outfit and staged out the out. I'm sorry, staggered out to the practice field to hit some shots. It hurt me to take a full swing. Both my head and my stomach were throbbing with pain, and my body was sore all over. I hit a hundred or more balls and took two more aspirin. Funny thing, but my headache was gone. I told Dutch. He, he, Dutch says, "Then you can start." He said cheerfully, "I can start." I told him, "But I'm so sore I can scarcely swing a club." I've never been I've never been famous as a golfer who was always down the middle of the fairway with his drives, but that day I was wilder than ever before or since. I was all over the course. Oh. 
After every drive, I was in the rough. Yet on the recovery shots, I was deadlier than the pant than the tomain from which I was suffering. So yet on the recovery, so he's all over the place in the rough with every shot. But the recovery shots, I was deadlier than the tomain from which I was suffering. The first hole was over a pond. I took a painful full swing knowing I must carry this pond. I carried it all right. I carried it so far the pond was never in my line of flight. I was in the rough, but my recovery was on the green and two putts gave me par gave me a par four. After that, I rarely took more than one putt. The rest of the round gave me lots of practice where my day was spent in the rough, but I finished with an unbelievable 68 and the gallery was buzzing with excitement because I had set a new course record. That round was a miraculous cure for my illness. I even decided against returning to that lobster restaurant uh, to tell the proprietor what I thought of his joint. I changed the street clothes and went out in front of the clubhouse to look at the score, scoreboard. Listening to the gallery, hearing them talk about my breaking the course record, led me to believe I was strokes ahead of anyone else. I was sure my 68 would stick up like a mountain peak over all the others. I just wanted to give myself the satisfaction of seeing how far ahead I was. I felt wonderful. At least I did until I looked at the scoreboard. For, br- for breathing down my neck with a 69 was Francis we met, <laughs> defending champion <laughs> since, the, since his sensational victory over Varden and Ray at Brookline. Yeah, yeah. And he was getting most of the attention from the gallery at Midlothian. And I stood looking at the scoreboard and thinking, I haven't done anything. One stroke is nothing at the start of a national championship. Oh, yeah. I stuck to regular food like steak and potatoes for the rest of the tournament, and my game stayed hot. I was never headed. I led all the way. We met, kept the pressure on, but after my final round, I had posted a score of 290. That 290 equaled the lowest score ever made up that up up to that year in the United States Open history. George Sargent, a wonderful golfer, had shot that score in 1909, playing in the Open at the Englewood Country Club. So <laughs> he looks at the scoreboard and look who's there. Francis Chomping Wee Matt. at his heels. Yeah, like, like Brookline. Oh, my God, Francis Son Wee Matt. A... You know, he got the, you know, whenever he's got the greatest game ever played movie and then sure. he wins the next year and then yeah. he gets the greatest game played ever numbered part two. Oh, my you know? God. Like he's, it's like going, no, no. Ah. So he's like, no, I got Wee Matt on my rear. You know, I'm like, this is my year, man. I'm sticking to steak and potatoes. Yeah. So he won the Open in So he won the 1914 U.S. Open, his hey. third tournament. I was being uh, facetious yeah, you there. Hit it. You I, know I thought he was like, oh yeah. You have to remember, man. We're in sync for the show. You're, you're always, you know, you know where we're going with a lot of this stuff. <laughs> so when you're just spitting stuff out there, you're, you know, you know where we're going with some of this stuff. You know, these are champions we're dealing with. Here. Yeah, these are not. These are not. These are people that have. But you have been, before the show, you're like, oh, this is still really, really early in his. Well, it stuff. is early, but Hagen's a champion for like every tournament. He <laughs> yeah, yeah. wins everything. All right. So, but and I'm not. I'm, not like, I'm giving you a crap. Dude. And you in know, the first, like, and in the first round, he was like in the rough off every off every. Yeah, but shot. that's what we're. But remember, in the previous tournament at Brookline, he was all over the place. Exactly, yeah. and he's hitting these miracle shots. This is going to become a major recurring theme, and he says right here. He says right here, That's my style, I've never man. been famous as a golfer who was always down the middle of the fairway with his drives. Right. So, and, but that day I was wilder than ever before or since. You're, this can be a recurring theme with all of his tournaments, with mm-hmm. all of his golf. Like, in fact, Bobby Jones has, I, don't, I can't recall the exact quote. We'll get to it. But it's something along the lines of, like, I've never seen anyone hit more bad shots in my life and still destroy everyone. <laughs> like, it's something along those lines. He's yeah. like... It's it's he's like I've never because that's his game. He plays this like slop golf, like yeah. where he hits these awful drives. And he's gonna have a, there's another sort of quote. I don't really have it on my list to read, but he talks about in here how how he event he's like he ends up sort of use using this stuff. 
he dramatizes these moments where he's because he knows he as the more he plays, the more he realizes that's sort of his game. Yeah. As he hits these awful shots, and he dramatizes these to the benefit of the gallery. Yeah. He plays up the drama, and that <laughs> these people get a total kick. He's one of the most entertaining. Oh no, I'm in the all. rough again. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> oh no, you know, I'm totally done. My whole game is, you know, like, uh, oh, like, that was a lucky shot. You how know, am like, I ever gonna get out of this? He talks about it. He actually says, like, I've been accused of. Um, you know, he actually says, like, oh, right here, I'll, I'll just read yeah, this yeah, real quick. Yeah. He says, through the years, I've been accused of dramatizing shots, of knowing of just what club I intended to use, just how I intended to make the shot, then holding up the game or the match by carefully scrutinizing the turf, the sky, my opponent, or even the caddy, of making the difficult shots look easy and the easy shots look difficult. Only that last came naturally, believe me. Well, I always figured the gallery had a show coming to them. I deny ever I held up I, I deny I ever held up a game by any such shenanigans, but I don't deny playing for the gallery. I don't deny trying to make my game as interesting and as thrilling to the spectators as it was possible for me to make it. So he so th- like this is his game. I love that he used shenanigans in context. Yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> He's my guy. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that's what I mean. So he is. Uh, so this is a guy who, like, this is gonna. This was so great. Like, this is his game. Yeah. Is this like you know sort of half slop where he's like. He hits a course record, and he's like, "I was in the rough all every single like all day long." I love that. So that's what I mean. Like, it's just he's a, he's just he's this incredible guy, man. Um, so, anyways, yeah. So, so he wins this. So he wins, and um, uh, so he. he but it, the, what's kind of interesting is he goes on to a whole other sort of description. He talks about that as much as he was setting these records. Um, with the the 290 equal the lowest score made you know made up uh, in U up and in U S Open history, that still ended up only being one stroke ahead of the guy who was in second place, which is a guy named Chick Evans. So he still only won the turn by one stroke, and this was the the, the tied for the record greatest lowest score in U S Open history in America. Wow. And so he still only finished one stroke ahead, and so he spends like a, like at least one or two pages, you know, talking about this one stroke where he had this incredible putt, and it was like. It was like sort of a miracle, and he spent so much time lining it up and all this. And he said, he goes, I had no idea at the time how important that was going to be. Cause that like one that, stroke, because yeah. Because that guy, when he went to it, he didn't, like, hit it as well, and it, he, he, like, two-putted it or something. He's like, that one stroke that I made was, like, everything. So anyways, but what's even what's probably the most interesting about this is the learning experience that he took from this. And I just, like, you know, when you're talking, this is one of this quote I'm about to read right here. This is why I, one of the reasons why I love history so much. Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's a sort of an adage that that people talk about history where they say like though they say those that are that don't follow history or those that don't understand history are doomed to repeat it. Doomed to repeat it. Yeah. That's a that's a well known phrase. See, that's I don't really subscribe to that. I I understand. I recognize that that is you know as being a you know one of the sort of like I say um, concepts of, of why people study history. But there's a flip side of that which I like even more and i think it's a more like that's sort of like i almost look at that as like a like a a foreboding of doom like ye who do not follow history are doomed to repeat it like it's like almost like a foreboding message you know like threatening you with doom if you don't follow history but there's one that's a little bit more optimistic that i heard and i this is i i believe i got this from that edith hamilton book which i've talked about the greek way the roman way two mandatory books for anybody that's that really wants to you know that is interested in history um, I think this was from the from her book called the, the the Greek Way, and the idea is is that if you study history, you can stand on the shoulder, you can learn from what your predecessors did before you, you can learn what they did right, and then stand on their shoulders and reach for things bigger, you know, than they than they than they could have ever dreamed of. 
You see, like you can use history as you know as a springboard for for reaching higher you know higher level things. So it, so like I say, I like I like that that concept a little more. It's, I think it's a little more optimistic to like sort of use history as more of a as more of a guidebook, as more of like a you know foundational thing for for reaching for higher levels. And that's what I love about this. What I'm about to read here is um, this lear- this tremendous learning experience that Walter Hagen had, and um, for whether it's for golf or for uh, like really life or anything. Um, I think that there's, I mean, it's not, I don't think, I think it's applicable to far more than just golf. Um, certainly almost every athletics could benefit from this quote. And I think, and it's a wonderful quote and I, that's, I'm kind of, you know, I was really excited to, to uh, bring this out. So, um, sorry. So he says, uh, uh, considering my win at Midlothian in relation to the showing I made, had made at Brookline the year before, one fact impressed me. My mind had been so occupied with the pains in my stomach and head that I had I had had no thought of of worry about each shot I made, even after that first day. I was so spent from physical weakness that I con- that I concerned myself chiefly with getting around the course and just taking my strokes, good or bad, as they came. I decided I decided then that mental and physical relaxation during competition was the most valuable asset any golfer could possess. Concentrate on playing the best you can on each shot. If it's a good one, that's fine. If it's bad, forget it. I wouldn't recommend a dose of tomain poisoning as a method of forgetting to worry <laughs> about a golf score, but it taught me to look at each round as a unit and take a individual bad shots in my stride. So what he's saying here is, is like, you know, like it, I, I just think this is applicable to so much stuff here. He says, you know, not to sit here, it, you know, whether it's even sports or you know, like anxiety or anything like that that people might have, like, you know, when you're sick, you're not, you know, you're that, you know, um, you know, you're not, when you're not dwelling on every single thing going, oh my God, I hope this is the best decision. I hope I don't retch on this ball oh, before uh, I hit it. Well, there's, yeah, <laughs> is what he's, he's like, I well, hope that's I don't what puke he on, did. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying like the, the sort of the broader it, applicable lesson yeah. is the idea that, you know, is the idea that, um, uh, just for anything, like when you're dwelling on something sure, so much, sure. you're, you know what I mean? You're losing focus. Like make a decision, move on. Some, yeah. Do, you know, if you're going to do something, do it, you know, you know, do it, make the best, you know, make the best decision you can. If it works out great, if it doesn't, then turn the page and move forward. Sometimes you got to get your head out of the game. Yeah, exactly. It's just focus on, you know, focus on the shot, focus on your moment and move on. You know, and they talk about that a lot of times with NFL cornerbacks. They're like one of the best uh, traits that an NFL, uh, NFL cornerback can have is the ability to forget. Like he just, you know, he just gave up a touchdown on some 50 yard touchdown bomb or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then they're like the best attribute of a cornerback is his ability to forget about the last play, you know, if he, mm-hmm. if he you know, just got burned or whatever. And but I think that's applicable to to all of this. And Hagen says right here that that he learned that was you know a specific lesson that he took out of this was that you know that that this um this food poisoning turned out to be you know a blessing yeah you know that he almost attributes that to winning this tournament that he wasn't dwelling on every shot and mm-hmm. worrying about this and in the and you can see you know as we go forward with his career you're gonna see this become a recurring theme because if you're if you're like hitting constantly into the rough and you know doing these like slop shot type of a game then how do you I mean the way the way he does it is is he just goes well okay well my new tee off spot is over here it's just a little <laughs> bit off it's you know it's not in the green it's yeah, over yeah. here but yeah. you know that's my that's just all there is to it you know yeah. how, how do I make the best shot from that angle he doesn't sit there and go oh my god I just cost myself a stroke he doesn't do that no. he just focuses on the next shot making the best one he can so 
Um, I just think that you know that's that's it, it just kind of ties into why I like history and and you know sports in general have have always served like life lessons you know mm-hmm. teamwork and individual accomplishment and working hard to get these things and then these are the kind of things that are you know within the boundaries of you know with you know if you dive deeper into sports you find these kind of gems um, and especially coming out of a guy who is uh, you know as much of a just a, an unbelievable champion athlete you know whatever you want to however you want to describe him icon is Walter Hagen to sit here and um, you know, to, to spoon feed this for you. So, yeah. Uh, so anyways, yeah. So I just love that. I thought that was a great, you know, it's just a great sort of, uh, uh, idea for that. So, so now, you know, with the U S open in his back, in his back pocket, he is now a new, a newfound golf superstar. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a professional. He is, this is his third tournament. He wins the U S open, uh, ties the all time lowest, you know, shot, you know, number of shots. Yeah. And he's a star. And so, I mean, golf was not no, by no means as nationally massive as it is now, but there was way more people that were turning in at, in 1914 than there was in 1912 because of this 1913 Brookline tournament, sure, you know, yeah. the, the, the greatest game ever. So, so, you know, golf is starting to kind of pick up enthusiasm after the previous year's U S open. And now the first person when they're going, well, who's in it this year? Yeah. Yeah. And Hagen's the guy that wins it. Sure. He's the first, they're like, Hagen, who's this guy, you know? Yeah. And 21 year old, young, super, you know, superstar mm-hmm. in golf. He just does this. And so now he's like, I'm, he, so he notifies Pat Moran that he will not be at spring training in 1914. Uh, because the Phillies will have to wait. They're going to, yeah, they're going to, he's, 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 I mean, he just, I mean, he outright makes the decision. He's like, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a star Sticking in golf. With the golf. Yeah, I yeah. just won the U.S. Open. I just won the U.S. Open. I'm going to quit and go play baseball. <laughs> you know? Like, it was fun while it lasted. Ah. You know, but the, this was just a route. This was just a temporary stop on my sure. way to the Phillies. Yeah. I went in the U.S. Open and then I'm going to go to play with the Phillies. Uh, so yeah, so he so he notifies Pat Moran he's not going to be there and then he just lists off like his life just totally changed. He, now he's in like massive demand for like appearances at other country clubs, um for exhibition games, for endorsements. Like I mean, he's now, you know, he's you know, nice. he's a star. He's an American good, star good, on the rise. And so this is where his career really starts to go. Um and alongside that, he began to take golf very seriously. Um, rig- rigorous practices, learn the rule books backwards and forwards to try oh. to maximize his, you know, to, to know everything, to take advantage of every opportunity that he mm-hmm. can find, mm-hmm. um, to defend himself if he needed to, you know, with the rule book. Um, he has, uh, so there's, it's just this book, the rest of the, his chapter is just pages and pages of, uh, of just lesson, like, cause he now at this point, he's got to build himself into Like he knows like his, where his weaknesses are. He knows the things that he has to do better. And especially if he's taking it seriously. And, and one of the things that, you know, like, so this is, so it's at this point, if anybody is a golfer and they're looking for some, you know, looking for some kind of, uh, you know, just information on improving your game. Like what's interesting is he doesn't just like say, Oh, I choked up on the club a little bit. I did this. He doesn't just tell you what he did. He talks about like how it evolved and like, how like he had this Varden's, you know, he'd been copying Harry Varden up to this point, but now he's re- realizing like, well, this swing is not great because there's like, I'm too forward on the ball or whatever. And he starts talking about balance. He starts talking about how the body rhythmically moves through the ball. Okay. You know, I mean, it's, it's, that's what's, that's what's great as he kind of talks about like sort of a little bit in general and about these general principles and how like, you know, how he, you know, uh, you know, built his swing around these things that he learned about like just like the you know the swing path and all this so it's it's worth it it's definitely worth taking a look at um if you're a golfer and looking to improve because 
you got Walter Hagen, and he's not just sitting there telling you, oh, what you do is you you, you choke up two inches away from the edge of the end of the sure, club. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. tell you that. He's just telling you like the you know the perfect swing is when you're driving through the ball and you're not slipping and you're you know your body's like sort of like a pendulum or whatever. He you know he talks about those sort of uh, you know overall general concepts. So um, it's not a bad person to learn some learn some tips from is uh, Walter Hagen. So, um, but it's just pages of technique and how he how he developed. So, um, yeah. So really, like the last thing I wanted to talk about um, is this, like, sort of this final quote that he had in this particular chapter, which was um, which it talks about. I just thought it was really interesting because it's something that this is a little bit up. We're, we're sort of finished with this 1914, but this topic right here is something that. Uh, it's another kind of thing about sports. It's it almost belongs in our baseball show. Oh wow! But um, but it, because it's something that I it's it's just but it, but I think it's sports in general. And I just want I want to throw it out there because for anybody you know that's wa- that's watching this, it's just food for thought. And it's also if you have a sort of like minded beliefs or mentality, uh, it gives you some little bit of ammunition to use for defending a sort of a very specific uh, argument or concept. So the idea is, it's the idea of athletes making absurd amounts, absurd amounts of money. Okay. And how it affects their game. Oh. All right? Because a lot of times people say, oh, those athletes are overpaid. Yeah. Right? And the thing is, I, I, I'm not ever, ever going to say uh, somebody's overpaid or underpaid or whatever. They're getting paid what somebody else is willing to pay them. And so in that case, and that with that idea in mind, if somebody's willing to pay you $30 million a year, who am I to tell you you're overpaid? I mean, if that, this other person doesn't think they're overpaid, or they wouldn't be paying them it, right? Right, <laughs> right, going, right. There's a market for it. There's a supply and demand. It is capitalism. If your if your labor is worth thirty million, you know who's there to tell me, hey, you know, you're I'm getting you know thirteen bucks an hour, and they're like, well, you're overpaid. <laughs> you yeah, know? I'm like, well, yeah, I deserve yeah. twenty bucks. Now they go, no, I think you're a terrible employee. So I think you should be getting nine bucks. You know, you're you're stuck your job. Like it's not. It's real. I just don't. I think it's you know, sort of bad taste to tell say, oh, this person's just totally overpaid. Um, again, they're worth what somebody's willing to pay them. However, there's a there's sort of a belief that I have with regards to athletes and, and the, you know large incredible sums of money, and it's the idea that uh, that large sums of money can um, can basically like athletes. I actually have a Potsy Clark quote I'm going to read in consignment. He puts it perfectly um, that. Uh, um, what does it say here? That the more you the more you pay, the worse they play. Wow. That's the that's the Potsy Clark's sort of summary on the matter. And because Hagen has a, a quote that backs it up too. And the because the general idea is, is that when somebody's getting if when somebody is hungry and they are right, they're 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 working every day because they don't have any money. It's like you know Rocky when the beginning of the movies where he's like just would crawl through glass. You know, like will punch. You know works out in a bag in a freezer because he's hungry just for a one chance at the shot, you know, and he's just right. perfect shape, working out every single day because he's hungry to get to the top. But that what happens once you get there, it's also it's also shown in that Rocky movie too. It's also shown in Rocky how, you know, once the guy gets the $30 million a year, where's the motivation coming sure. for the for them to play at the the level that they had coming up? And it's not to say that there's nobody that plays at the high level once they get paid. It's not to say that at all. There are certainly athletes that do. But there's plenty of athletes who do not and whose right. skill clearly declines sometimes in profound ways. Yeah. Like it can, their, 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 their talent, their value just completely evaporates. And that's one of the things that – and Hagen's got a nice little um, thing that talks about this. It's I guess you like to say you know, sort of ammunition for anybody that's having this conversation anywhere – 
that Walter Hagen recognized that in himself. And so this is his little uh, quote right here. Competition was always important to me. I played better golf under pressure, whether from an opponent or the elements of or lack of money. When I was short of cash, I would I could always win. When I needed a title to enhance my value in exhibitions, I went out and got it. The healthier my economic situation, the lousier I played. But give me some good stiff competition or a lack of the green stuff, and I could usually shoot a winning score. So he's like my motive, like you know, because otherwise he's the he's got more money than right, right. knows what to do with. He's out having fun, and he's and I think that 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 ties into a lot of this, you know, a lot of athletes and a lot of the situations today. And, to, and you know, and, and I and I mentioned Potsy Clark because I have a quote that I had saved up from Potsy Clark um, that is like you know he's like again we did a whole you know segment on Potsy Clark the coach of the Lions yeah and he so I've been looking for any reason to bring this out to the public because it's such a, an obscure quote um, by somebody that people don't even people don't even know about so um, so it's this is a I saw this in Hagen and I wanted to spit this out with Potsy Clark here. So this quote comes from Potsy Clark uh, from uh, 1948, from December. This is looks I'm looking at the date, uh, Christmas Eve, <laughs> 1948. Um, so some people it might be a buzzkill for people on <laughs> Christmas Eve to look in the newspapers, see Potsy Clark writing yeah. or quoting and talk about how money wrecks athletes. But yeah. uh, but in either case, uh, so the the title it was a Chicago Tribune article called Potsy Clark Calls Money a Sport Evil. Uh, so here, here's Potsy. When it comes to buying athletes, the more you pay, the worse they play, Coach George Potsy Clark said today. In most instances, it kills their desire to do any work at all. I spent 10 years as a professional football coach. My experience there leads me to believe that the more you pay, the worse they play. The good players become harder to handle. The average players are consumed by jealousy over the salary paid to the supposedly star member of the group. Money is not the answer. So it's so it's just a you know again it's a little bit of a um it's not really related specifically to this you know to the story we're telling today but just the integrity of any game yeah but it's just a show that it's just yeah. it, we're talking about sports this mm-hmm. is Walter Hagen's talking about it I have a, a sort of a sister quote that goes with it yeah, coming out no, of positive cool. Clark or a brother quote there um but it's but it's just yeah, it's it's something to put out you know into the ether and say yeah um again it's not to say that all athletes don't do it but it should give pause to people that are paying these massive contracts to athletes, especially when they're like 10-year deals or 12-year deals for insane sums of money. And then you're like, and you know, the defense is like, well, he's a really good player. Yeah, but you, but it's a different player. Mm-hmm. It's a different player when they when that when that when that hunger is gone. Like like a lot of athletes are motivated, you know, hopefully by like I'm like I just I love playing baseball and I don't care about the money. And I want to play for championships and I want to, you know, they're self-motivated. You know, a lot of players. You know, there are players that are like that. But again, when you when you're throwing that kind of money at somebody, um, that's why I think about it in baseball because baseball is certainly the most egregious examples of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just because they're you know these guys are signed to 10, 12 year deals, and for just insane amounts of money, and like you're just going, there's nobody, there's nobody that can play that position yeah. anywhere for. Cheaper than that, like you can't find anybody that's got that hunger that would crawl through glass to play that position and could do. I mean, even eighty-five percent as good yeah, as that yeah, guy, yeah, yeah, for ninety-nine percent cheaper price. <laughs> you know, like it's just that's what I'm saying. It's kind of staggering, and um, I just want to put this sort of on record because uh, that's you know, like say when you know we got this other baseball project and 
Um, that's the way I feel about it. Is you got you got a team of hungry junkyard dogs, people that are looking to come up, people that do not, you know, that are that are trying to work their way to the top. You and you got if you're able to identify talent among these junkyard dogs, not just a bunch of random scrubs, right. but they're actual talented <clears throat> junkyard dogs. That those are the that's why those are the those are the most interesting and funnest teams to watch, because these guys are hungry. They're 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 you know they they want you know they're they're a group. Those are those are the most those are the teams you never want to face. If you're if you have a team full of like superstar high priced athletes, and you will go up against a team of junkyard dogs that are also talented, they're the they're you're gonna get that's the worst team because they have no. They have no expectations, and you have every expectation in the world. That's another thing that neither one of you know that that that, uh, that Hagen or Clark don't talk about in those is 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 the expectations that come with those kind of salaries. So mm-hmm. it's just it's just uh, food for thought for the you know just for the sports world, and um, you know just I just wanted to throw that out there for this. I like it. I like it a lot. So uh, we appreciate everybody hanging out with us. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, the website is uh, DetroitCityOfChampions.com. It's a great place to get connected for uh, like where to buy the books, where to get the merch, yeah. um, all that business, and then links to uh, all the different uh, outlets where we're available from YouTube and Facebook videos to yeah. Pandora and Apple and Google and I want to get our I want to get our YouTube rocking because that's uh, all I watch is YouTube. I, lo- I love. I, I want to see I my own that. shows. I love that it's on. YouTube. I want to show my. I see my own shows pop up on my own feed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like suggested yeah. videos to watch. Hey, that's me. <laughs> yeah, like who's that talking? Because oh, I watch a lot. I watch a lot ton of like you know sports and sports history yeah, and yeah. you know Detroit and Detroit history, Detroit sports history. I love. I'd, it'd just be cool, like or like a friend suggested that suggested you know, video, yeah, or just somebody that I know or whatever is like, hey man, your video just got suggested. Uh, that's, that's like I don't know. I, I just think it's kind of cool. Yeah. And the, but the worst thing is, like following up to the last little thought on these. Oh yeah. You, you so you know what's going to happen if once we blow up this show mm-hmm. and we start getting paid, you know, massive sums of money for oh, doing every show. It in, yeah. We're gonna be we're gonna be terrible. Yeah, we're gonna be terrible it's on here. Terrible now, actually. No, we're good. I think, I think we're, <laughs> we're hungry. We're a couple of junkyard we, dogs we that are, are doing our best for every. I spent all this time making that Walter Hagen and the Philadelphia Phillies graphic, I dude. I know, man. That was. Uh, I mean, I spent a lot, I spent like twenty minutes doing that, that thing was today. Hot. That was that, that thing's was taken good. over. <laughs> and if you notice the picture for you, the viewer, it's so. A, it's the, the same. I, I reversed. Right I, I enlarged the face on that. Oh, you reversed him. Yeah, I reversed uh, it. That face right there. The night. That's a. That's that's just off of uh, Walter Hagen's Wikipedia page. Slow down for one second. Leave it on that one right there. Right. So that's that is actually Walter Hagen in 1914 right, during right. the year we just talked about. So what I did was I zoomed in on his face, clipped, you know, cropped it, and then reversed it so it would fit the angle of the hat that I swiped off some picture. And he fit in it like a glove. I was oh. like, yeah, yeah, it was perfect. There so that's what I'm saying. But like, once we start rocking out, you know, million subscribers and all kinds of money off this show, you'd be like, hey, Charles, we need some kind of a cool graphic to put in with this. I'm gonna be like, ah, I don't uh, got it anymore. <laughs> like, I got, I got Jamie. I got ten meetings today. I can't be doing that. Have kind one of, of stuff. them interns get to <laughs> yeah, that. I have one of the interns do it. Like, I'm gonna yeah, be, yeah. I'm gonna be, dude. I, 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 I kind of want to get to that point to be that spoiled star where I'm like. 
I can't take it anymore. Everybody is so demanding. You're like, Charles, all we did was ask you to put the headphones on. Uh, like, like, why can't we not have a room with headphones in it? I want to be do that, it live. Do it live. That, that diva star. And it's always like, man, he's overpaid. He's like, it's, it's, this show is ruined because he's got the money now. I want. That's. I'm aiming for that. That's. Say, I'm like actually like get, trying to get to that point. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Episode like six thousand. I come along for the ride, man. Yeah, we're, we're, this is our show, bro. We wouldn't be doing this show. This is a partnership, man. Yeah. So, no, I enjoy it. All right, so too. do all those podcast things in all the podcast places. Like, subscribe, leave a comment. Thanks for being with us. Uh, we'll stick it in the ground again next time with Walter Hagen in Detroit, City of Champions. <laughs>